Accomplishment Coaching is proud to present the following fine programming. Accomplishment Coaching, where coaches lead and leaders coach. AccomplishmentCoaching.com Welcome to The Coaching Show with your host, Master Certified Coach Christopher McCollum. Thank you, the spirit of the Dick, Dick Warren, and thank you, my dear listener, for being here again as we uh, bring you people out on the cutting edge, people who are pioneers, people who are doing something in the world of coaching, self-development, or basically just being human that are interesting. Uh, each and every week, we bring you an interview with someone or someones. My name is Christopher McAuliffe. I'm a master certified coach. That's what they tell me. This here, uh, Clarice, where, where are you? Clarice? Uh, where are you? In the way, way far away land. Just You're, calling in because I can't wait for this guest. I uh, I looked in the last place I left you, which was right. It was just right here, and you're not there. I looked under things. You weren't there. So you're uh, joining us remotely today. That's Clarice Connolly. Yeah. Tell people who you are and what you do, because I, I forget. <laughs> Thank you so much. I am a women's empowerment coach, and I support women in breaking through their beliefs that no longer empower them and really standing by them, holding their hand, and making you know, their possibilities of reality. And you can find me at empoweringwomen.coach. Empoweringwomen, plural, dot coach, singular. Very good. Uh, and women's Empowerment Coach, you talk about holding women's hands. What I know that, you know, first of all, we all ask permission now. And yeah. what's, the, um, what's the real, like, what are you finding these days? What are you dealing with with your clients these days? Absolutely. Um, Oftentimes, it's a lot around belonging and not, not feeling like we're enough, not feeling like we're held or understood or really gotten. And so I think just providing that space to allow people to show up and feel seen and just actually be gotten, it really just opens women up to the possibility of there's so much more underneath all of that Beautiful. that stops them. Beautiful. Thanks so much for sharing. Empoweringwomen.coach. Let's see. What do we had? We had the, um, I think, the final conference of the year, which was the Capital Coaches Conference. We also had the the forward from ICF. We'll have guests from or speakers from both of those as our guests coming up. What about um, Clarice? uh, What What are some of the show notes? Who are we looking forward to having here at the Coaching Show? Right on here on AccomplishmentMedia.com. Yes, I'm really excited. We have Judy Feld coming up. We have both owners of the seven paths really excited for them uh, we have a lot of really great guests that are coming up i can't even think of all of their names right now i'm just so excited doctor uh, is it coach meg coach meg oh she's really awesome. excited for her yeah yeah we have a lot of great guests you know who i'm uh, excited to talk to is terry belf she's a mm-hmm. longtime spiritual coach and she works on uh coaching ethics both with the icf for years like decades maybe and um now with the association of coach training organizations about training ethics i'm very excited to talk to her we got a lot of great shows and of course you can always check us out in the archives now available on accomplishmentmedia.com where you can go and search in we, we spend a lot of money for a search ability so you can check us out there as well as find some other great podcasts including i think i love you and uh clarice what's your podcast titled heart empowered women radio very consistent with the branding here heart empowered women beautiful all right mm-hmm. uh we need to give a shout out to our longtime sponsor accomplishment coaching but let's do that later and let's get to our guest yes um, I think we're spending, are we spending the entire hour with him or do we have some we other sure are. There's so much to learn about. 
I can't wait. Great. Uh, man, don't you love it when uh, you love people and uh, who they are personally, and then you also find out that they're professionally just extraordinary, high integrity, high impact, effective human beings? Such is true of our guest today. I was going to say our first guest, but he's our entire guest uh, lineup. Mr. Mark Hunter, uh, do you, uh, he's a friend of mine. It's awkward to introduce your friends <laughs> because, you know, you know them, like you know what's great about him. I can tell you he's an author. I can tell you he's a leadership uh, expert. He, I can tell you he's an extraordinary uh, organizational and executive coach. What, what do you want the people to know? Like if, you, if you're not one of his friends, what do you say, Clarice? I'm just, what are you up to? What is he doing in the world? He's such a powerhouse. And with that kind of gift, I want to know all about him. That's, that's your introduction. Okay. All right. I'm we'll really work on this. excited. <laughs> we can work on this. Please welcome to our microphones. Uh, Mark Hunter, Master Certified Coach. Hello, sir. Hello. Thank you so much for that warm introduction. I appreciate that. that. Awkward Thanks, introduction. Yeah. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> called it warm. I've already identified uh, you as a friend, and I mostly did that to explain my poor attitude in our conversation today. Uh, oh my God! You started. You started. There's there's a mistake right here. I've got your book, The Brink, an extraordinary book and a valuable book that we should all have. Uh, but there's a there's an error right here on the front of the book, The Brink. It says how great leadership is invented. Now. I don't know if you heard, but leadership is developed. There's a whole lot of leadership development experts. So it's developed, and you wrote invented. Yes, I wrote invented. You want me to tell you why? I do. Yes. <laughs> do we have to beg you for it? <laughs> Please, Mark. Maybe. So here's why. I won't, because we're talking about it, the, the word leadership development and the phrase leadership development has been overused in my experience. And mm -hmm. I think... I think that the the word invented much is a much better characterization of what actually happens moment to moment in a dynamic environment that that leadership is agile and in that type of a an environment that that leadership actually gets invented and reinvented moment to moment by based upon what's happening who it's happening with uh, the content and context of what we're talking about uh, it, it actually has to be reinvented. Developed sort of implies uh, a process, and that usually implies taking some time or maybe some classes. <laughs> uh, but invented can happen in an instant, and, and, and it can be invented in a way that's never been done before, moment to moment. So I like the word invented better because it, it's different from and distinct from the, the way that we think about leadership typically. Great. So um, tell us some, uh, what I'm trying to get to is I'm drilling down to this notion of invention because mostly leaders, when they come to you or me, when they come into executive coaches or Clarice, they're um, looking for the, the sort of magic wand or the magic beans or something, right, to get them to the next level, to get them past what they're stopping. What are you mostly dealing with when you're working with the leaders in organizations that you're dealing with? Mostly dealing with, uh, with relationship. Um, leaders struggling with and dealing with their relationship to themselves as leaders, to the, to the leaders around them as leaders, uh, struggling and, and challenged by their relationship to the challenges that they're facing as leaders, too. So it ends up ultimately 
at the core being a relationship conversation to what leadership even is and who am I as a leader then? So what I love what you're talking about trying to drill down to because yeah, like I think a lot of leaders are looking for that, that magic pill. Um, and I think they've been doing that for a long time and the challenges that leaders face currently in the world, uh, and I don't mean just the uh, corporate world, uh, are different. They're, it's, they're, they're such that the, the solutions and the, the, the way that people have found to lead um, sort of typically in those situations uh, is insufficient for some of the challenges we face now. And what I mean when I say the, the way people, people have typically led, I mean through hierarchy and power and driving and strength and, um, and will. And those things are, are, are valuable tools, but they're not, uh, they're not that magic pill anymore. The magic pill now is, is being agile in the presence of what our, what our circumstances need. Nice. Uh, Clarice, if you, if you want to talk, you're going to have to force your way in here because I'm just going to keep rolling, okay? I'm <laughs> thanks so much. I'm really just hanging on to how the word invention just creates so much like spaciousness. You're like, yeah, what do I want to invent? Like I want to get very I feel very excited about the notion that what if the magic pill is just like recreating like a new relationship to what you're saying and I think that's great. I never even thought about it like that. So, yeah. uh, do you want to comment on that? Yeah, yeah, uh, thanks Clarice. It, it actually is great because the you know, it, it means that we can use leadership in new places and in new ways, too, right? If it's mm -hmm. just, if I'm developing my leadership, you know, in this firm, in this, um, in this structure, then it's sort of limited to, uh, to what this firm or structure needs. If I'm invented, if I'm creating a muscle around being able to invent leadership, then I can create leadership in my relationships. I can create leadership in my work. I can really create myself as a leader, uh, even if I'm sitting in a room doing work by myself. So leadership stops requiring followers. Leaders stops requiring my power and hierarchy over people who are followers or people who are, uh, who are going to do what I say simply because of, who, of my title. So leadership starts to be much more useful in many more places when it's invented rather than simply uh, taught and read. Can you? Sorry, we lost, we lost something there. Taught. Taught and retaught. Is that what you said? Yes, taught and retaught. When when it's taught and and like the magic pill or here are the five steps to, to being a you know to being a leader that that, that those right. right those things become those are valuable but they they're limited in that you've got to go do those five things and they, they don't always apply everywhere. So now what? But if you could develop a skill set, a muscle around how to invent leadership when you need it, the way you need it, and you know and why you need it. Uh, then we start to get into the invention area where, oh, I can actually use leadership in places that it wasn't usable before. Nice. I want to uh, talk about two things. The first is something you said that seemed provocative. Leadership does not require followers. Will you expand on that? Yeah. The, it's it's um, something that I've... I've looked at and, and noticed over, over a lot of years of coaching people in organizations especially, is that there's an old model of leadership that, require, that sort of defined leaders as people who create effective followers <laughs> and who hierarchically have power over those followers. Uh, and that's how things get done. Uh, that model creates a lot of um, 
a lot of separation of the leader from the followers, and it creates followers becoming better at following. Uh, there are a lot of dangers and pitfalls in this. Uh, there's not a whole lot of innovation. Uh, innovation comes from the top down and from a very few people, of course. Uh, it also creates a big relationship barrier. There's not, um, there's not a lot of being able to relate to the leader as a follower, and vice versa. The, the leader doesn't really relate to followers other than as resources or, or perhaps even um, commodities. So the, that model works in a, in a fixed environment where we've got to get this many things done in this amount of time and I can simply apply pressure to that model, right? I can, as a leader, I can apply more pressure to my followers to force more results. So, and that's a very general sort of description of that older model. It, the, the new model I'm, 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 I'm suggesting here is that you know, some of the most effective leaders in today's world, in today's business world, and in, in the p public sector as well, are those leaders that are uh, actually good at creating the people around them as leaders. Uh, they create leaders and leadership in all the people around them so that there's, there's a community of leadership, there's a conversation of leadership going on rather than leadership being done to people. And this creates, well, like I said before, innovation, but it also creates uh, a relationship of us all in this together so that that there really isn't a follower mentality there there's really just a a question of how can i lead more effectively in my role how can i lead more effectively uh our team even even if i'm not in the hierarchical position above anybody else man there's a lot there um and again clarice my intention is not to squeeze you out so force your way in here if you want my, the thing that I heard mostly there is an opportunity, perhaps, for participation based not on hierarchy. So there are, you know, models, um, uh, feedback models as easy as coaching or as, you know, far-reaching as improv comedy, where the intention is everybody gets to talk, right, and everybody gets to give feedback in, everybody, in every different way. Are you advocating that, or are you just saying that relationship is more important than position or both ah actually both thanks for saying both yeah i actually have it that it's both you, you know and you use an important word uh opportunity that there's actually an opportunity for one's voice to be heard and and i would i would go so far as to say that what i'm suggesting is that you know if we're if we're talking about a model where we're where leaders are creating leaders around them there's not just the opportunity for everyone's voice being heard, there's the expectation. You know, I could, in a, even in an old hierarchical model, I could create the opportunity. It, you know, it's the suggest suggestion box, right? <laughs> Great, send me your suggestions, have right. your voice heard. <laughs> but but uh, there's the opportunity for you to Everyone hears those. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. The, um, but in, the, in this model I'm suggesting, there's actually the expectation that you as a leader are going to to have your voice heard. You're going to actually speak up and do what it takes to be heard. And that, I think, points to your second point, which is that, yes, it actually, that creates relationship and requires relationship at the same time. Nice. Clarice, you got something? Yeah, I guess my first question is, for the leaders that are out there listening, like, what is the first step that they could take to actually start creating this? You know, I think it's conversation. It's a conversation about about who we are, and and I say we because 
typically there's there's not a vacuum a leader's operating in. Uh, but even if they even if it's just one leader by themselves, you know, and they're running their own business as a solopreneur, um, who am I? You know, who 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 am I in the matter of my team, in the matter of my business, my relationship to my business, or my, my relationship to my team and their relationship to me? You know, who are we, and how have we been been operating? Are we operating as a you know, as a as a, an old hierarchical model, are we? Is this a dictatorship? Um, is this actually collaborative? Are we colluding? Um, you know, actually starting to tell the truth, I think, is the bottom line there. You know, starting to tell the truth about who we are and who we've been, uh, and I think that's the place to start. It, it, look, if it's working, if it's if what's going on is sufficient to the results we want, then there then then that's fine. I think we need to think past whether it's just working now, though, and start thinking about whether this is scalable and sustainable. You know, is what we're doing now something that's going to um, that's going to outlast the the changes that are coming down the road that we can't foresee in terms of uh, culture, both in our organization and in the world around us, and you know, changes in markets and trends and things like that as well. So, I, I think it's whether or not who we are is sufficient to what we want. And telling the truth about that. I think that's the place to start. I love that. I want to go back to something you said earlier. So the most important, I thought this was pretty interesting, the most important quality, and maybe that's not the right word, of leader is relationship. Would you speak to the relationship, pardon me for using it again, uh, or the connection between relationship and performance? Because as leaders, mostly we're looking for performance. Fair? Absolutely. Um, well, I want to first, I want to first talk about the word relationship and the way I'm using it. Um, I, I use relationship as a, as a, a, I call it with a capital R. It's not just my relationship to others and my relationship to, um, to people around me. It's my relationship to my thoughts, my feelings, my beliefs, my relationship to fear, my relationship to Heck, my relationship to relationship itself. <laughs> um, so it's it's a catch-all for the way I interact with everything in my environment, externally and internally. So if we relate to, if we think about relationship in that way, um, then I think that we have a relationship to performance. And I and I and I want to be careful about the word performance too. Um, sometimes the word performance gets a bad rep, like that. Um, sometimes people are performing rather than being authentic. Sometimes people are performing rather than um, rather than actually practicing, and those things are true. However, to your point, Christopher, we all do need to perform in some way, shape, or form and produce some some result in our world, whether it's you know at work or at home. So performance isn't a bad thing. So I think we need to sort of combine those two conversations. You know, what is my relationship to performance? and start taking a look at the way I think about success, the way I, I think about failing, uh, the way I relate to risk. Uh, so relationship and performance are, I, I, I would think of them as interdependent. Um, if I'm going to be effective at performing, I've got to be responsible for taking a look at how I relate to performance first. Uh, if, if performance is a problem that I need to deal with, then it's probably not going to go very well. You know, if performance is something I'm excited about and I relate to myself as, um, as able to play in and be effective in, then, then we can start to actually create some things that are innovative and outside the box. 
I love that. Um, one of the things, and we're going to take a break in a few minutes. First of all, how do people reach you? If they want to more, if they want to work with you, if they want the book, how do they get a hold of you? Yeah, uh, great. Yeah, I mean, the best way to reach me is by my email, mark at pinnacle-coaching.net. And in case you don't know how to spell pinnacle, P-I-N-N-A-C-L-E-coaching.net. That's correct. Thank you. <laughs> there was a tone, Clarice. There was a little tone. Um, I'm spelling challenged. It's fine. I'm just putting it out there. Anybody else is okay, too. It's great. fine. We should point out that Mark is the CEO and founder of Pinnacle Coaching. If you're looking for a great executive or organizational coaching leadership uh, invention or reinvention, please uh, reach out. Check it out on the web at pinnaclecoaching.net. That's P-I-N-N-A-C-L-E as Clarice reminds us, coaching. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, and is the at Pinnacle Coaching? Is that where we can find the book, or where do we look? Yes, the book is available at pinnacle-coaching.net. Pinnacle-coaching.net. Dashcoaching.net. That's correct. Um, and we can also find it at thebrinkbook.com as well. That's right. It's it's okay. available through both sites. Yes. And of course, wherever fine books are sold. Um, I wanted to talk to you about. Um, Something that, uh, so in the brink, you talk about uh, leadership in sort of terms of mountaineering or mountain climbing. I'm not right. I'm not sure of the right term. I know it's not spelunking. Uh, <laughs> and one of the things that I found really valuable is the first step, which is, well, why don't you remind us what the first step is, if you remember? I'm teasing. <laughs> That's a test. I love it. That's right. Yeah. The first step is to actually pick a mountain. Right. Yeah. And what I, what I mean by that and, and the way I'm using it is, is actually choose something to be up to. And, and specifically, the, the metaphor of a mountain implies something big, you know, something that's actually worthy of a challenge that's, uh, that's going to test our resolve, but also that we can't necessarily see the other side of. We don't know how it's going to go on the way there, and we don't exactly know what it's going to look like when we get there necessarily. And those are qualities of challenges that are, uh, that are typically worthy of leadership and are typically things that that help us sharpen our leadership. You know, that's that's the kind of a stone that uh, that our leadership gets gets uh, sharpened on. So picking a mountain doesn't necessarily mean that you have to leave what you're already doing and go find something exotic. Sometimes picking a mountain means choosing a challenge or a mountain that you're already faced with or that has been um, presented to you. So. The key word in pick a mountain is pick. <laughs> Actually, choose that mountain that you've already that, that you may already have. It's really important. I love the notion of choice uh, because so many of us feel like, well, it's my job, or you know, we're we're burdened with, well, this is the team I've got, or this is the you know, the sales goal that was given to me. What's the um, uh, if we're simply trying to get to where we were last year or the last year plus X, right? Plus 10% or 20% or whatever our goals are for this year. Is that choosing, is that a challenge? That's a great question. It, the answer is that it, in the way you stated it, no. If we're simply trying to get to where we were and we relate to it that way, then I don't relate to that necessarily as a, as a challenge sufficient to what I'm suggesting in the book. Um, however, it doesn't mean we have to go pick something else. What I'm suggesting is that we simply need to change our orientation to that one goal. I usually start with clients at this point where I ask them, you know, um, what are the things that you, that you say are impossible? Like, what are the things that, you, that are absolutely impossible for you to take on uh, in, in what you're up to? 
let's actually pick a mountain from what you're what you're already faced with. And then and that's not a question that a lot of people have trouble answering. <laughs> uh, you know, most people are pretty clear about what's impossible about what they're trying to do, um, and what hasn't worked, and that kind of thing. You usually start there. There's a there's usually a plethora of options in that list um, of impossibilities uh, from which we can pick something that's that's a worthy task. And look, it could actually be what you suggested. Sometimes 10% more than what we created last year is the thing that's a mountain. Sometimes that doesn't feel possible, and that could be the thing that, that is the mountain for us. Beautiful. So I'm, now I'm hearing relationships sort of the way you redefined it for us, right? Yes. And performance. Exactly. If, I'm, if I'm relating to it as a check-the-box thing, then this is not a mountain. This is not even a suitable hill. This is just management or something, but it ain't leadership. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Great. We've got uh, just a few minutes before we're going to take a little break and give everybody a moment to um, breathe. Uh, what do you think <laughs> is the biggest... Are you laughing because you think I think people aren't breathing? Never mind. Um, yeah. <laughs> what's uh? What do you think is the biggest leadership challenge or issue in uh, at least the Western world today? Uh, in a word, fear. Um. I I have it that the biggest challenge or pitfall for leaders is the way they relate to fear. Um, somehow expecting or hoping to um, remove fear from their process or remove fear from their teams or businesses process uh, and and hoping to work around it somehow or get through it somehow. Oh, I'm sorry, you know, get through it without having to actually face it. So a lot of the work I do with clients is around their relationship to fear and, and putting an end to trying to avoid it and having them actually practice getting uh, more adept at operating in the presence of their fear so that they're responding to things rather than reacting so that they're making empowered choices rather than um, fear-based knee-jerk uh, sort of um, survival-based uh, reactions to things and that, so I, I think it's really in a nutshell uh, fear and the way that that leaders uh, relate to fear beautifully said um, I want to let people know one more time that you, they can go to thebrinkbook.com and get a copy of the book. You can contact Mark by emailing him at mark at pinnacle, and is it hyphen coaching.net? Yes, it's the dash sign, the minus sign. Dash minus. Not just one. There's so many terms. Not a hyphen <laughs> and a dash and a minus. Just one. Coaching.net. And of course, you can go to the website. Um, Anything you want to leave us with before we go to break? Any any sort of teasers for uh, what we'll talk about in the next segment? You know uh, that that last part you talked about there, the um, you know what the biggest sort of challenge that that leaders face out there. Uh, I, I said fear. Uh, it, there's a big industry around change management out there in the world, and I I actually relate to change management as fear management. It's really not, change Ooh. management boils down to how are you gonna, how are you gonna manage the fear, uh, your own fear and the fear on the, on the teams that are negotiating change. Beautiful. What I wanna talk about when we come back is the relationship of ego and integrity and charisma to leadership. I also wanna talk about whether it's a competency, a skill, a set of qualities, like I wanna know where to go to leadership school. What do you wanna know, Clarice, when you come back? I'm I'm hooked. I want to know about fear management and change management. I'm really curious. You're just afraid.
I'm, uh, yeah. <laughs> I want to I shout out to our longtime sponsor of this program. As I promised at the beginning of this segment, we'll uh, let you know that this program is brought to you by, this week and every week, Accomplishment Coaching. If you're looking for the finest coach training program in the world, and that is not hyperbole, that is not a slogan, it's the truth in terms of facts, like the most hours, the most actual coaching, everything else, uh, check out AccomplishmentCoaching.com, home of the world's finest coach training program. There's a program near you. Clarice, do you want to say the cities really quickly? I don't hear Clarice. So San we're gonna, Diego. There you go. San Diego, Seattle, Chicago, Victoria, British Columbia, Canada, and Washington, D.C., and New York City. And New York City. Very good. Check it out. AccomplishmentCoaching.com. We'll be right back after these messages. Are you seeking to change your career to something that is both fulfilling and challenging? Do you want to help people reach their full potential and strive to achieve their dreams? Would you like to inspire those around you and help create a better world? If you're serious about a career change or just want to explore the craft of personal coaching, contact Accomplishment Coaching with locations across the country in Washington, D.C., Seattle, Chicago, New York City, and San Diego. Accomplishment Coaching is the leading institution in personal coaching. Our staff carefully monitors the entire program live during the training process and have met the strict standards of ICF International to achieve accreditation. Through a focus on quality instruction rather than endless modules of training, Accomplishment Coaching will guide you from your very first step all the way to becoming one of the finest coaches in the world. Visit AccomplishmentCoaching.com to learn more. Accomplishment Coaching, where coaches lead and leaders coach. Christopher McAuliffe is your source for the latest in the world of personal coaching. Whether it be speaking with such luminaries as Deepak Chopra or getting the newest techniques and innovations, the coaching show is always on the cutting edge of what's happening now. Tired of presentations with no impact, no inspiration, and no traction? Do dull speakers have you and your team disengaged and distracted by smartphones? Christopher McAuliffe brings energy, insights, and two decades of experience delivered with punch, humor, and heart. Your team will leave energized, uplifted, and with a sense of purpose. Visit ChristopherMcAuliffe.com to bring some heat to your next speaking engagement. M-C-A-U-L-I-F-F-E. ChristopherMcAuliffe.com. Gotham Books presents Marriage Rules by Harriet Lerner. The book Martha Beck calls required reading for anyone hoping to interact successfully with any other human, not just for those in romantic relationships. Get your copy wherever books and ebooks are sold and visit harrietlearner.com to learn how to change your marriage today. The Coaching Show is brought to you by Accomplishment Coaching, home of the world's finest coach training program. Here is Christopher McCullough, Master Certified Coach. We're delighted to continue our conversation with Mark Hunter. He's the founder and president of Pinnacle Coaching, an international business and executive coaching company. has more than 23 years of experience as a professional coach. Uh, for more than 10 years, he's led Accomplishment Coaching's leadership and coaches training programs on the East Coast. He's a member of the executive team of that organization. He's the author of the book, The Brink, How Great Leadership is Invented. Mark's uh, an extraordinarily successful coach, and we're delighted to continue the conversation. If you want to reach out to Mark, please email him at mark at pinnacle, P-I-N-N-A-C-L-E, hyphen coaching dot net. That's pinnacle hyphen coaching dot net. You can also get the book by going to thebrinkbook.com. Um, Clarice Connolly is with us. She is our not-in-studio guest co-host. You can find uh, Clarice by going to empoweringwomen.coach. So, Clarice, you wanted to follow up on this whole fear management, change management thing, yes? Yes, absolutely. Who doesn't have some fear they're working with? Me. 
Yeah. All right. <laughs> Everybody but you is probably equally as excited as I am. So can you explain how you approach fear as like change management? How do you describe that? Sure. Uh, you know, I, I get often, I often get hired to work with teams around change, uh, change that they're, they're struggling with mostly. And what it every single time always boils down to is that change is scary. And that's not weird. I mean, you know, I think that's the reason why people avoid change uh, and why teams avoid change because it's, it's inherently scary. And, and what I start out with is normalizing that change is scary. That's not wrong. I think a lot of times it's made wrong. We feel wrong about it and, and we sort of try to kill the fear. And I start out by helping the, the leaders I work with or the teams I work with stop relating to their fear as wrong and stop trying to make the change not scary, trying to make it less scary. So that, that's where it starts. It really starts with, with normalizing that fear is there, no longer trying to kill it, and relating to it as part of the process. You know, sometimes when you pick a mountain, not sometimes, when you pick a mountain that's, that's going to be big enough to challenge yourself, it's going to be scary. So that's usually a pretty good indication that you're on a path that's going to help you develop your leadership. I, I love that fear is a part of development, a part of inventing great leadership, theoretically, right? But when it's real, like, we get scared, you know, should I go this way or that way? I've got limited resources, I've got, you know, uh, shareholders, stockholders, stakeholders, somebody that's looking out for what I'm, what I'm going to do. How do you, how do you uh, suggest that leaders deal with that inevitable fear piece that comes up for them, it's a lonely place, leadership. And often everybody that you talk to has some sort of an angle on it, so it's hard to get good, useful feedback that's not, you know, sort of agenda-free, and we're scared. That's right, absolutely. I mean, it has to start with changing the narrative about fear. A lot of energy gets, gets expended on trying to stop it, <laughs> trying to stop being scared. Mm -hmm. uh, so what I usually suggest, and to your point, Christopher, is Get someone that's not in your head and that's also not personally invested in what you guys are up to. So that's, you know, a coach, for example. Um, but it could be a mentor. It could be somebody else who's outside of the, the drama of what you're dealing with. And, and then rein, reinvent this relationship to fear that, that okay, there, there is fear. It's sort of like gravity. Like we don't walk around all day trying to avoid gravity. Uh, I, I assert we don't. We actually have learned to navigate it. We've learned to play in its presence. We've learned to live our lives without having to think about it moment to moment. So if we can think about our fear like that, it's just a part of our, it's part of the human condition if we're up to anything of any significance is that it's going to be scary. And you're right. So let's first stop trying to get rid of it and kill it and make it wrong. And then we can have a conversation about it. And what are we actually scared of? Because there's a lot of valuable information in there. Oftentimes the thing we're scared of has a lot of opportunity in it. Uh, oftentimes the thing we're scared of points to some things we need to take a look at. But if we're only taking a look at those things from trying to avoid them, we miss a ton of opportunity. And we're, we sometimes dig the, any kind of hole we're in deeper than we already was. It sounds so good in theory. What, can you give us an example, somebody that you've worked with or how this, how this shows up in real life? 
And sorry to keep drilling down on it. I just think it's super important. Sure. Yeah. Um, let's see. I've worked with some um, board uh, boards of directors and, and executive teams on boards of directors. And there, there's, there's a couple I've worked with that have had the, this change happen at the CEO level. And this is an interesting uh, relationship <laughs> um, because of the, the way the CEO interacts with the board. But, but the change actually created fear because the previous CEO had been there for a number of years. Uh, over 10 years, and there had been a culture created around that CEO and the way she did things and the way things went, and you know she had great relationships with everybody, and this new CEO came in and was very different in the way she operated. So there, the reaction was fear. Oh, my goodness, everything's going to change. Huge problem all of a sudden. And it created, as you might imagine, a huge rift in relationship between staff, board members, executive team, CEO, everybody sort of uh, looking at the other um, people around them as uh, people to be afraid of. And now I've got to be careful. And now I've got to take a look at uh, what, my, uh, what, what it means. Everything I say, suddenly I have to be careful and edited about. The, the thing we found when we drilled down into this, and we had the conversations that I shared with you, we talked about fear, we talked about it as normal, that, that yes, there's a big change here and everybody's scared and that's okay. And we took the drama out of fear so that fear became, well, not unlike gravity, something that, yeah, it's just there. Now what? And the, what we found out when we drilled down, to your point, was that what they were afraid of was that they weren't going to be heard. And this wasn't just one group of those people I listed. It was everybody, the CEO, the, uh, the executive team, the board, the staff. They're suddenly, I don't feel like I'm going to be heard because this person has a different personality, a different style, a different communication method that they, that they operate in. And so once we had that conversation, we found out that the way this person listened and interacted actually was better for the way the organization was intending to operate than it, would, than it would have been if this new person came in and did it the way it was done before. So that's a, that's a, a pretty dynamic example because there are a number of different parties involved. And everybody was scared, though. I think that's the thing I want you to hear is that the commonality amongst almost all of us is that we have fear. And we all relate to it differently. And it's that relationship that keeps, uh, that keeps fear as something that everybody tries to avoid. And so once we change that relationship to fear, like, okay, now that we're not avoiding it, we could have a conversation that was different. It wasn't just about how to get that CEO to be like the last CEO. It was about, well, how do I actually learn well, what's, what's available from the way this new person uh, interacts and listens or, or doesn't listen, perhaps. And that was an interesting one because this new CEO wasn't open to a lot of the banter and collusion that was going on <laughs> in the presence of the old CEO. There wasn't that same sort of uh, familial uh, banter that was, that was, that was available. Jibber jabber, right, yeah. Jibber jabber, yeah. And that was a huge asset once we actually were able to talk about it without it being this big, scary thing that we had to solve. I like it because uh, it gives me some real-world uh, stuff there. Uh, let's go back to a question I asked before the break. Uh, if we, uh, we, one only needs to Google leadership to get inundated with lots of, you know, valuable stuff from legit places, right? Whether it's Harvard Business Review, you know, or um, online courses or anything else, there's a lot out there about leadership. 
from your view, is it competency? Is it skill? Is it qualities um, innate or developed? What What's your view of it? Of leadership itself? Yeah. That's a great question. Finally, uh, huh? Finally, a great question here. <laughs> That's one. <laughs> one in a row, one in a row. <laughs> the, uh, let's see. Yeah, it, it's funny. I think it's all those things, but... Um, but ultimately, I, I have it that leadership starts as a choice, you know, a choice to be a leader in my environment. And again, I say environment because it doesn't just mean at work. It means in whatever environment I'm in. So it's actually a way of being. So leadership itself is a relationship. You know, I, if, I, if I relate to myself as a leader, then, um, then it almost doesn't matter where I do it or how I do it. Uh, it, it's just who I am. So it's a choice to um, to be a leader and relate to myself as a leader. That's where I think it starts. Now, in addition to your point, all those other things. Now I can go and learn how to hone my skills in this area. I can go and learn how to hone my skills as a coach, uh, perhaps as a uh, you know as as a get my MBA, for example, and how to lead in an organizational environment. So there's there are, those skill sets are not. Um, are not wrong. I don't think any of them are wrong, but I think it really starts with the center of that, the, the nucleus of that being, um, being that people uh, choosing to be leaders in their world and relate to themselves that way. I appreciate that. Um, we can't, if I continue down this theme about leadership and what's out there, right? Everywhere. There are books, there are articles, there are lots of pop-up ads about, you know, the qualities, the tips, the things um, for leaders. Is there something that you think if you could stop leaders from doing immediately, you would? Like if you could just wave your magic wand and stop all leaders from doing something, what would it be? <laughs> oh, that's great. Let's see. You know, I, I think the thing I would stop leaders from doing uh, if I if I had one choice, it would be that they would stop. They would stop operating in a in sort of a binary environment. And what I mean by that is uh, things are right or wrong, things are good or bad, things are on or off. Uh, that binary way of thinking uh, is something I see rampant, like like it's black and white. Uh, you know that type of of, of filter. Uh, I, I think I would take that away from them. <laughs> I think that's the that's one of the favorite toys I notice of leaders, especially when they're scared or challenged, is, is, is everything becomes black and white and starts to narrow. And then they, they operate in this, this corridor of either or. I get to either do that or I can do this. And it, it starts to eliminate their ability to listen. So <laughs> I would take, out the, take away their, their binary choice toy, and I would, I would actually challenge them to practice being uh, more effective listeners. Nice. Uh, so you're saying binary is good or bad? I'm kidding. The um, <laughs> I, I, I think that we would we would agree that uh, we often see people as leaders based on something like charisma. And yet, some of our you know most powerful leaders have 
uh, certainly we can point to leaders that have charisma, a great deal of it, and we can point to people, whether we consider it good or bad in our binary world, or we can point to leaders that seemingly have very little to no charisma. Do you find a charisma correlate in leadership? Is there, is there something we need to develop or learn about charisma as leaders? I love this question because it's um, it's so tricky. I think that a lot of a lot of times in in this conversation about charisma, it, it devolves into a right wrong, good or bad. Like charisma is a good thing or charisma is bad. But I think that I sort of relate to charisma as a tool that has you be able to be better heard. Uh, charismatic people, in my experience, and charismatic leaders simply have um, have the ability to captivate more listeners and hold their attention longer. So to that, in, in that respect and to that end, it's a valuable asset to, to learn to have, uh, to actually be charismatic so as to be heard by more people for a longer period of time. Uh, so yes, I do notice that most of the successful leaders I, I, I see out there, and I think we all see out there, are charismatic. And that doesn't mean one thing. It doesn't mean they're extroverts and bubbly. Um, you know, sometimes you, you find leaders that are charismatic in a way where they're um, they're they're actually very pointed and driven and focused, and they can be just as captivating and charismatic. Beautiful, uh, Clarice. You have something? I want to not exclude you, but include you, even though I'm you're just, far away today. I'm just sitting here enjoying some popcorn, just taking it all in. <laughs> Okay. Uh, let's talk about ego. Ego, the enemy of leadership or required for leadership or something else? That's <laughs> great. Again, I'm going to stay away from any binary answer to that. Like, I don't have it that it's good or bad. I think ego is something that, again, not unlike fear, we're not going to kill our egos. Uh, I think it's a tool to use in different, in different points. You know, you, ego is something that's valuable in terms of driving us towards what we want. Uh, it's it's important to know who we are and know our impact. Um, you know, if we're if we're trying to 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 kill our ego, it takes a lot of effort to try to 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 be small or to not be uh, not be impactful the way our ego would have us be. Uh, if, however, we're driven solely by ego, we forget that we're there for a reason separate from just ourselves. So neither of those things work. I think ego, just like any other tool, including fear. Uh, is valuable uh, you know actually owning your power owning your worth uh ego is not a bad word and uh and i think it's actually something that people can practice with you know a, a lot of leaders think that i need to i need to kill my ego i need to come from someplace other than ego you're not going to kill it first of all and yes learn to come from other places other than your ego and choose from places other than your ego so that you can when it's appropriate and i think that appropriate question is really key Beautiful. Um, in your work, one of the things that you do is um, you work to shift the entire framework of the organization or the team or whomever you're working with, the framework. I want to ask you two questions about this, and they may or may not be um, related. One is, that seems like an un uh, like an ridiculously large job, and I'd love for you to speak to why it's important. And then, if you can hold the second question, it seems also to invite uh, sabotage, resistance, and pushback. Can you hold both questions, or do you want me to ask one? No, that works. 
Thanks. Actually, I think they work. They work well <laughs> together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. The reason it's uh, and look when you say framework, I, I I relate to the the framework as a as a culture, like sort of synonymous with culture. So the way uh, the way an organization operates and um, and the culture in which they operate is sort of what we're talking about when we talk about framework. Can we start there with that the way of I'm with talking? You. That's a good angle. Great, great. So it's important because culture is definitive. Uh, if we have a culture of fear, for example, where fear is wrong and everybody's scared and nobody's talking about it, for example, that's going to define the way we operate, the way we interact. Again, we're back to a conversation about relationship. Relationship starts to be driven by and through the lens of fear um, culturally. And that's, that's just the way cultures work. And cultures get built either on purpose <laughs> or not. But there's always a culture, not unlike context. You know, there's always a context. It's just a matter of which one. So we've got to be responsible for what culture we've created or we've allowed to be created because it's defining our relationships with each other, our relationships to our work, our relationships to our results. And it's, it's basically defining our relationships, period. So that's why it's important. It is a big job. I think a lot of times, and I'll, I'll answer a, a question you didn't ask, which is sort of, you know, where do we start with changing a culture? Uh, mm-hmm. I think a lot of times we, leaders and organizations try to change a culture by hiring a new person at the top. Let's hire a new CEO, <laughs> and that'll change the culture. And and my, I, I deal with a lot of the the sort of the wake of that of that error in the work I do. The the thing they usually find is that the top-down method doesn't actually change a culture. The culture occurs mostly in a hierarchical model at the, at, in the middle and the bottom of the, of the hierarchy. That's where the culture gets built, whether on purpose or not. So we typically have to start with a person at the top, so to speak, uh, who's willing to change the culture and willing to let us go in and make a difference sort of on the ground where the rubber meets the road, where, where there are people out there talking about our, for our organization. There are people out there um, practicing the practice of our organization. We've got to change the culture there with alignment from the top. So that speaks to what the second thing you brought up, sabotage and resistance. Yes, always, every time, there's going to be sabotage and resistance to, um, to changing a culture because no matter what the culture is, People learn to adapt. We're, we're, we're adaptive human beings. You know, we, we learn to survive in whatever environment we're in. So if you're going to go change a culture that's been built, whether on purpose or not, and it's been ingrained for a while, then, then you're going to end up starting with having to, to take away things that people have become very accustomed to. Whether it's good for them or not, <laughs> it's become, they've become very uh, accustomed to it. For example, I, expl- I used the example earlier of collusion and banter and, and sort of um, a lot of energy wasters. That stuff's fun. I mean, let's face it, you know, complaining at the water cooler about the game last night for hours is actually fun mm-hmm. if you get used to it. And if you're going to change a culture, there's going to be sabotage and resistance because people are good at becoming accustomed to things. And then they get comfortable. And I do a lot of work with teams around, around comfort not being their friend. You know, especially in, in the Western world, we've become addicted to not just being comfortable, but the, the, the pursuit of being comfortable. 
that that somehow things are going to become static at some point and there won't be any more challenges, no more fear, nothing else I have to do that I don't feel like doing. And I, I bring the bad news early that that's not going to happen, but that the pursuit of it is a huge distraction from us actually getting good at what we're doing <laughs> or, or actually navigating this change we're about to make effectively. So if we can take comfort out of, uh, of that sort of um, wish list, then, then there's not a whole lot to resist. Okay, we're, it's going to be scary and it's going to be uncomfortable. And I'm going to be able to adapt and, and thrive in this new environment just as I was able to before and maybe even better. And then this conversation changes on end. Now we start looking at the opportunity and what that change in culture could be. What's in it for me? which is what it all really boils down to anyway for the individual. So uh, that was a very long answer. But I, I think, did I catch or, capture what you were asking? You did. Yeah, uh, you I came up with so much, too. Great. And, oh, I don't want to step <clears throat> on you, Clarice. Go for it. We're not here to yeah. give each other, like, visual So I, <laughs> I know. We're practicing. Uh, so I love that piece because earlier you were talking about the drama that comes up with fear. And the piece that you just touched on was addiction, right? So we have this addiction to the drama it's just so energizing and uh, you know exciting and the addiction of like colluding at the waterhole what do you see is the thing or the energy or the place or how do we recreate a relationship to that and where do we put it uh well yeah and it's it's tricky because the, the it happens on both ways like there's a way that that people are addicted to uh, to being afraid, but they're also addicted to this idea that they can avoid fear and they can somehow get to a place where they're not afraid. We're also addicted to our comfort and this idea that we can someplace get to a, somehow get to a place that's going to be comfortable like a light switch. Like, oh, comfort is on and it just stays on until otherwise instructed. So that's the, there are two sort of two forms of the addiction there: addiction to avoidance of what we don't want and an addiction to trying to chase this thing we do want called comfort. Uh, so the way I think to, um, to address that is to talk about the cost of that. You know, what's the cost of you chasing your comfort and how's it gone? I mean, look, we can all take a look at how chasing comfort has gone. There are very few of us that are actually comfortable. Even if we've gotten all the things we want and the accolades and the results, we're typically still uncomfortable in a whole bunch of ways. It's just different. And that's, I think, something that everybody can relate to. Yeah, I get that, is what I usually get. So we can stop playing that game now, now that we've identified it. Same thing with avoiding fear. Okay, great. You've spent the first 43 years of your life avoiding fear. How's it gone? You've gotten everything you wanted. You've, done all the, the, you've gotten all the insurance and all the, the, um, the bonuses and all that stuff, and, and great. Now what? Are, you still, are, are there still things you're afraid of? The answer is always yes. Okay, so we can now we notice that the, the fear, the, the trying to kill fear doesn't work either. Now what? And, and you sort of have to get people able to relate to um, these things as, as, as things that are distractions for them that aren't actually real. Okay. Well, it's been extraordinary having you here. Thank you so much for all of the uh, comments, all of the training, all of the... Uh, shifting our views of leadership. I want to remind people that the book is The Brink, and you can find it at thebrinkbook.com. Um, uh, I want to also remind you that you can reach out to Mark personally by writing to him at mark 
M-A-R-K, at Pinnacle, P-I-N-N-A-C-L-E, hyphen, coaching, C-O-A-C-H-I-N-G, dot net. That's Pinnacle, hyphen, coaching, dot net. Mark, we've got about uh, 30 seconds left with our time together, and I want to give it to you. If you had a parting thought or shot for 50,000 coaches or so, what would you have us know or what would you leave us with today? <laughs> oh, that's great, a parting shot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think the thing is, is, to, is to not be surprised. Uh, and, and let me, let me obviously sh- share what I mean. Uh, the, the things that, that leaders and, and the people around us will bring as coaches and leaders or as our clients even um, are as, as you know, they run the gamut. And the thing that I always tell coaches and, and, and tell leaders um, when they're when they're learning about how to navigate things is to stop being surprised by what you encounter. Uh, it's not, none of the things that people bring you are wrong. I think a lot of times coaches and leaders bring, uh, bring sort of this filter for this, this filter and fear, like what is, what's going to happen next? What, what are they going to bring next? And, and that fear gets in the way of us actually being able to hear. Beautiful. So the way to become a better listener is to practice uh, not being surprised. Beautiful. All right. Thank you, Mark. We'll talk to you guys next week. The Coaching Show is brought to you by Accomplishment Coaching, home of the World Finest Coach Training Program. That's all for today's edition. We will talk to you next week.